0: Thank y'all for worshiping, and can we just give uh, these guys and gals a hand real quick, saying thank you? And I don't know if y'all notice, but Mo normally is up here shredding with Colin on the guitars, but Mo was back there doing some drumming. Man, he was killing it! Yeah, super, super impressed. Very talented guy. Hey, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter two. We're going to continue going through Romans like we've been doing. Romans. Chapter two, um, yeah, it's gonna be good stuff. Romans chapter two. We're gonna start in verse um, seventeen here in just in just a few moments. So, I got a question. I want you to discuss with the people around you. I want you, and this is a yeah, participation with those around you. I want you to discuss what is it that makes someone a Texan? Like, if you're gonna say like, hey, so this person's a Texan. What are some things, ways you would describe that person, all right? So go ahead and talk about it for a second. All right, I, I see you guys have had some good conversation. We're not gonna take this too far, but I'm curious what are some things, uh, if there are any brave souls, what are some things that you came up with uh, about Texans? You say y'all. Wow, man, yeah, y'all. Absolutely, all right, very good. What? See, say it again. Going, fixing. fixing going, oh yeah, for sure. Fixing going, okay. Boots. I'm out. (laughs) Boots and guns, okay? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else real quick want to throw theirs out? Sweet tea. tea. Amen. I'm kind of appalled that you have to even differentiate between sweet tea and unsweet. You know what I'm saying? Like, there should be no thing as unsweet tea. Barbecue. Barbecue. Excellent. (laughs) Whatever. Yes, that's right. Hey! Yeah! That's right. I rem- yes, sir. Say it again? You have to love Whataburger. All right. Absolutely. I remember my, my, one of my roommates in seminary, uh, I heard him on the phone with his, with his girlfriend one time, and they were talking about, you know, getting married one day and having a house, and he said, <laughs> this is like syrupy and sappy as he could, but, and as serious as he could, but I just couldn't take him seriously. He said, <laughs> baby, I don't care where we live, it's as, long as we can fly the Texas flag out front, <laughs> I was like, "Wow!" Like that's and I just moved to Texas, so I wasn't quite ready for that. Uh, there's Ryland, you got one. Say it again? Football. That's right. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I've been in Texas now. If you include Fort Worth, which it makes sense because Texas, uh, man, May will be uh, August. Sorry, Logan. <laughs> August will be eleven years, and um. In, the, in a lot of ways, and I obviously haven't done the whole like Wrangler Boots thing yet, which m- most of you, many of you haven't, so you, no judgment, all right? Um, but in a lot of ways, I've tried to take on like the, the Texas persona a little bit, right? So I love barbecue, I love smoking uh, some, I love smoking. <laughs> I did that earlier today. I love smoking barbecue, let me clarify, love grilling steak, right? Um, when I go, like when I went to India last April, uh, I went with the, my, my team over there. I didn't say I'm from America. I said I'm from Texas, right? Which, by the way, we're the only state that does that, right? They're all like, "Well, I'm from California. I'm from Tennessee." I mean, you guys are lame. I'm from Texas, right? I'm mean, sorry. No, they're like, "I'm from America." I totally butchered that. They were from California, Tennessee, but they always said they were from America. And I'm like, "I'm from Texas, right?" Um, now here's the deal. As much as I've tried to to kind of do the Texas thing, and when I'm with people from another state, they they just figure I've been here all my life, not because I'm like. Uh, trying to prove it, they just kind of assume, okay, you say y'all and you have a shotgun and all that kind of stuff, so you must be, be from Texas, but i have a confession, if you look at my birth certificate, I'm not from Texas. Like, I'm, like, fired tomorrow morning. (laughs) All my stuff's packed up. If if you look, as much as I kind of, I'm not saying like i faked everybody, as much as as i try to kind of fit into the Texas culture, I I really do. Like, I love, like, if we, when we drink tea, sweet tea, you don't have to differentiate, tea at our house, um, we put it in a mason jar, you know what I'm saying? We just do it right, okay? As much as I bought into all that, the reality is I'm I'm not, in the truest sense, a Texan, which some of y'all already discussed it, I know, right? Um... As much as I may even may feel, make myself feel like I can, and maybe even trick other people into thinking I'm a Texan. Like when it comes down to it, I don't have the birth certificate. I'm actually, I'm kind of, I never really lived in Missouri, but I'm, I was born in Missouri, which is like so lame to me. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I mean, nothing against Missouri, but I, I just never, I never lived there, so it's really weird. Um, anyways, uh, I think in the Bible Belt. There are probably a lot of Christians that way who have by the way, we're in the Bible belt. like some people say Lubbock is the buckle on the Bible belt, right? Um, but yeah, I think in the, in the Bible belt, a lot of people feel like they're a Christian because they, they kind they can kind of use a certain lingo, go to the right places, do the right things, but in reality. They couldn't show, and this doesn't really exist, so don't be confused, but they couldn't, like, metaphorically speaking, they couldn't show you a birth certificate of, hey, I'm a child of God. Are you with me? Are you with me? What Paul has been doing in Romans, it really goes back to, to chapter 1, uh, verse 18. He's been making the case, all through Romans up to this point, that every single human being is under the wrath of God like that faces the anger, the wrath, ultimately the judgment of God. And, he, and he's been chipping away any confidence we might have in saying, oh, that's not me. And I think this one tonight might apply to this group the most. And when I say apply, I mean, this is maybe the passage that we might should wrestle with the most. And let, me, let me be real clear. Here. The point of this passage and the point certainly of this sermon is not to scare you or to make you doubt your salvation. I was talking with a sweet young lady the other night, and it's not a pastor's job to make someone doubt. Like, the Holy Spirit can convict you of your lostness, but that's not my job. And just, I don't want to say too much here, but um, I think I mentioned this last week, but I haven't, we're going to chase a quick rabbit, this intentionally, okay? <laughs> I just don't buy into the idea that if you're not 100% sure of your salvation, if you're only 95% sure, then you must not be a real Christian. I just don't believe that. Here's why. I don't know if I've ever really met someone that's never, at least for a second, struggled and doubted with their salvation. You with me? And beyond that, that's just kind of from like a logical, practical example. But in reality, I feel like doubting is... Not encouraged in the Bible, but it's exemplified, is that the word? Like, it's in the Bible. Like, have you ever read the book of Psalms? It's it's full of doubt and curiosity and wonder, God, where are you? You with me? Jesus on the cross, what did he say? Yeah, God, why have you forsaken me? Which, that wasn't really a a doubt, per se, is, God, where are you? Right? And I think in those moments of, God, where are you, it's easy to, to kind of question for a second. Like, I'm your college pastor, I'm reading, which, you know, okay, duh, right? And I was, I was reading a book called Not a Fan, I haven't quite finished, so it; almost done with it, um, and I guess about two weeks ago, I was reading on our, on our living room couch, and some of the things that Kyle Adelman was saying, I was like, man, am, am I really a Christian? Like, and for a few minutes, I just kind of struggled with it, and then just like, remember what the Bible says about assurance, and like, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, then you can be sh- certain in that. So I'm telling you that to be very honest and say, I think, I think doubting happens, okay? Now, if you like doubt 24-7, that's all you think about, maybe that's something to, to consider and talk about. All that said, the point of this sermon is not to make you doubt your salvation, okay? But it's worth a good, honest look. You with me? So the point is not to scare you, but really to push you to Jesus. And that's really, if you if you read... Romans 1, through where we're going, ultimately two weeks from now, because next week we're going to do a little uh, stand-alone sermon on relationships. Um, I'm just going to say, I've been, I want, I'm not going to do it because I'll get in trouble. I wanted to, on, on social media, advertise it as a one-night stand on relationships, but that would not go over well. So I'm not going to do that, but I just said it on the podcast, so it's too late. Anyways, um, but two weeks from now, we'll get back to Romans. And you're going to see that from the beginning of Romans, really, and all the way to the end, it's pushing us towards Jesus. Um, So with that in mind, let's check out Romans chapter 2, verse 17. I'm going to, I don't, again, you know I don't want to do this. We're going to put some notes on the screen. So Tyler, if you don't mind putting that first one up, and then we'll see it in the text. So, and before we, before I read that, let me say this. The first, or really the second week of the series, we talked about the wrath of God. We saw that all of us face the wrath of God because all of us worship all the wrong things. You remember that? If you weren't here, it's okay. You don't have to have been here. But we talked about idolatry. We love other things uh, before loving God. So then, And then last week, we looked at the idea that Paul was kind of calling people out on those who are moralistic. And they may not claim to be religious, but they consider themselves a good and moral person. And they walk around and kind of judge other people. And he says, those people... The reason it's foolish, what's so messed up with them looking down on other people is they do all the same things, even though they try to act like they're spiritual and above everybody else. So even they are under the wrath of God. In this, in this third section, you could say, of the wrath of God, he's going to turn his finger and point to the Jews and translating kind of crossing the ridge to our day, you could say, to religious people. Which you being here tonight, I'm not going to just assume every single person would consider themselves religious. But in a way, probably most of you in this room, in some form or fashion, are religious. Let's see what Paul has to say after we read this. Religious people will face the wrath of God because at their very best, all they do is put on a show to impress others. Let's read verse 17 and on. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I love the way Paul writes because he kind of builds it up so that if you were, especially at that time, a Jew reading this, you would have been reading it like, yeah, but I call myself a Jew and I boast in God and I know his will and I'm a teacher. Like, yeah, he's going to say I'm okay. And then he says, why don't you practice what you preach? <laughs> Here's what Paul's going to get at. That even religious people, as much as they may try, they don't, none of them consistently practice what they preach. No one consistently walks their talk. He was talking to Jews here, obviously, you saw the word Jew in verse 17. He's talking to Jews who were God's chosen people, right? They were the people that God had chosen to use to carry out his mission of salvation, ultimately, through Jesus Christ. They were to be a light to the nation. So if, if you were going to say, like, hey, this is the, the right religion. I mean, Judaism was considered, that was the right religion. You were part of the right group. And Paul is going to say to them, even even Jews... Just being a, quote, Jew doesn't mean that you're free from the wrath of God. He says, part of the problem is, you don't practice what you preach. Verse 24, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So, and this this shouldn't be hard to understand. Have you noticed that today, even today, when people who claim to be Christians, act like jerks act, and act like they really have no idea who God is, it's a turnoff to other people, right? That's what Paul was telling the Jews. He says, hey, you, you're claiming to know God, but the way you act, it's, it's disgusting to the Gentiles. Now you can, you can almost hear some of the religious and the Jews and the religious people saying, I, I don't know, Paul, man, like I think I do a pretty good job of practicing what I preach. I think I do a pretty good job of walking my talk. And that's maybe what some of you right now are saying. You know, like, I do a pretty good job of practicing what I preach. I walk my talk. This is what Paul would say. And before we read this, let me clarify this so you know what's going on here. So he's going he's to give an example of a um, religious activity, you could say. Okay? So the example he's going to use uh, was is circumcision. And so circumcision was what God gave to the Jews as a sign that they were a part of God's covenant people in his grace and relationship with him, but also that they were cut off and separated for him to be a special people. That was what the Jews were supposed to do. So it was an outward sign of what God, of their relationship with God. Here's what he says. For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised... Sorry, I got to stop for a second. I don't know how hot it is. I had a buddy in college that was going to try to preach this passage, and he literally, every time it came to the word circumcised, he just skipped it. And so the youth group was like, Hey, Mr. Boyd, why are you skipping that word? And he, he literally just stopped preaching. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, Wow. Uh, David remembers Boyd, good times, missed that guy. Anyways, <laughs> verse 28, for no one is a Jew, this, sorry, I got all goofy, but this is really important. Let's go back to verse 27. That he who is physically uncircumcised, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. This is crucial right here. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew, and so in Paul's perspective this time, one who is in right relationship with God and covenant with God, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So to the person that would say, "Now I do a pretty good job of, of practicing what I preach and doing things," Paul's saying, "But here's the problem: even if outwardly you do the right things, inwardly your heart is still messed up. Even the most religious person who does the outward right things, their heart is still messed up. So ultimately, religious people will face the wrath of God because at their best, even on their best performance, their best day of living for God, all they do is ultimately to put, to, sorry, all they do is put on a show to impress. Others and they may not. I get up in the morning and think I'm going to try to impress other people. But ultimately, that's what the heart of the issue is. And Paul's saying, "Hey, being a being a religious person, if it's just outward show, it counts for nothing." And that's ultimately what religion, apart from Christ, is is just outward show. I uh, I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, earlier today, I. I Went home and uh, ironed my clothes and stuff. And because I, I thought, hey, you know, it might be chill, a little chilly tonight, i to wear my jacket. I didn't iron the back of my shirt or the sleeves. I just ironed the collar in the front. Why? That's all you're going to see, right? And when I go home tonight, Lauren will be asleep. She won't care, right? So my, my dog might judge me. But, I mean, other than that, like, that's, that's what religious people do, right? And it wasn't this, like, it wasn't this conscious effort, like, I gotta impress those college kids. I'm gonna iron the front of my shirt. It was just like, am I ironing? I'm like, I don't see the back. No big deal. That's what religious people do. Tech basketball is doing pretty good these days, right? I just must say, Amen. <laughs> amen. Yeah, it's awesome. That's good. Number seven, I think. Is that right? Um, what if I uh, tomorrow shaved my beard? Went to Red Raider Outfitters, got me a legit. No, forget that. I'm gonna go talk to Coach Beard's. That's his name. I go to talk to Coach Beard and I say, "Hey, bro, I need a uni. Like, I need a uni." Okay, and he's like, "Well, for the right price, I'm like, or the right payment, like, I got you, bro." Okay, so I buy a uni, right? And I start walking around campus in my uniform. Uh, I I go to the game. I actually, pay Coach Beard enough that he actually lets me sit on the bench, and I'm all into the game, right? And I'm starting to talk the lingo and everything. Um, It's possible, I'm dumb enough, I might convince myself that I'm a good basketball player. You know what I'm saying? Michael's like, I know you ain't, right? I really really might convince myself. And the reality is, now I probably would convince no one else. But you know, I mean, like one time when I first moved here, um, there were, no no lie, there were some uh, third graders that my wife convinced that I, she convinced them that I played uh, professional football for the Cowboys and later the Jaguars. Um, so, you know, I might I could convince some little kids that I played Texas Tech basketball. All that aside, even if all that was true, if I convinced myself, convinced some other uh, not as wise people, <laughs> would that make me a Texas Tech basketball player? Lord, no. <laughs> if you see me play basketball, it's bad. <laughs> Like, junior high girls is about my level of skill, right? Like, I would dunk on some fools, okay? That's about all I got. If you can come to church and play the religious game, and you may fool yourself and like, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I raise my hands and worship and stuff. You may even fool a few other people, but y'all, you're not going to fool God. God is not impressed with outward religious action. He sees what says. He sees your heart. It's a matter of the heart. You could one of you could uh, put on a wedding ring and talk like you're married, but it doesn't mean you're married, right? Just because well, I have a wedding ring. Like if I take this off, I'm still I'm still married, right? Thank you, Lord. Um, Religious activity a lot of times is just it's just that it's just I put put the ring on, take it off, talk your game. But it doesn't mean that you're actually in a relationship with God just because you're doing religious things. I mean, it's, I think it's way oversaid so that it doesn't like have any punch anymore, but it's still true. It's about relationship, not religion, right? And if it's always just religion, like it, just because you have religion doesn't mean you have a relationship. Religious people will face the wrath of God because at their best, all they do is put on a show to impress other people. Now we're not going to spend a lot of time um, in verses three, sorry, chapter three, verses one through eight. Though it is it is certainly important, I don't want to give you any sense of not that all oh, there's a part of the scripture that's not important. It's very important. Um, but he's really talking. He's given uh, what you might call some rebuttals or answering some objections that the Jews might have raised. And so, just to give you a little glimpse, to kind of dip our toe in the water um, before we move on to the next point someone might have said, well, then what advantage has the Jew? Like, what, what what benefit is there in being a Jew? And Paul's answer, if you skip down, is much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So, man, the Jews were given God's word. They got to be recipients of God's word and experience what God did. They got to, to know what God was like and what he expected because they had the oracles of God. So he's saying, like, it had benefit, but it wasn't worth ultimate benefit, right? And of similar way you could say, what benefit, okay, so if God's not impressed with religion, uh, then what benefit is, is there in doing Christian religion things? Well, there's benefit in like getting to hear the word of God and getting to, to find out about God, but the reality is there's no ultimate benefit. It doesn't deliver you from the wrath of God, Right? Again, I don't want to, because we're covering a lot of ground tonight, I'm not going to spend too much or really any more time on verse three or chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, though I would definitely recommend reading it later. For the sake of time, we're going to go to the next one. If you'll put that next slide up for me, Mr. Tyler. Religious people will face the wrath of God because they are totally... Depraved. Now, some of you who are in theology, you're going to say, wait, totally depraved? Like, this is not a sermon on Calvinism. This is not what it's about whatsoever. So don't let that freak you out. But I think that's the best way to describe what we see in these verses. So don't get distracted, all right? It's interesting. Paul's going to use six Old Testament passages, uh, starting in verse 9 and really going through verse 18, um, to, to give us this idea that all of us are completely and totally messed up. So we're going to start in verse 9 and read this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, so all people, are under sin, as it is written. And I was going to, like I said, use six Old Testament passages to make this argument. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, that's a weird word, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So even the most religious person, to be in our context today, even the most religious person who's, who's gone to church their entire life, ultimately at the core of who they are, they are what? Starts with an S. <laughs> they're sinful. He says, no one, no one is in right standing before God. No one does what is right in their relationship with God or in their relationships with other people. No one actually seeks after God. And you might say, "Well, not some people that seek God? Like, they're, they're interested. He's saying, not that people don't have intellectual interest sometimes, but that no one in a pure form from their heart actually seeks God apart from God seeking them first. No one on their own just says, I'm truly interested in getting to know God. There's always an ulterior, uh, selfish purpose behind their seeking. No one does good. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Man, what a terrifying picture of our words. That when I speak, it's like laying an open grave for you to come and lay down and die in. We use our tongues to deceive. Our feet are quick. To shed blood. That doesn't literally mean that we're all like walking around wanting to stab people and kill people. But what did Jesus say? It's not just that if you want to like, literally go kill somebody, but what? In your heart, right? No fear of God before their eyes. Religious people will face the wrath of God because they're totally depraved. In every way, we're sinful. So sin has tainted everything about us. So again, it's not that no one ever does something kind of good, but it's that, at the very least, it's not as good as it should be (laughs) because sin has tainted it. Or there's an ulterior motive or, or purpose in the quote, doing good. It's totally ruined everything. Everything about us is affected by sin. Hey, some of y'all been to the beach, right? When you go to the beach, if you got there for a good, solid day, so not just like a quick trip, but you, you, know, you, you drive to the beach and you're gonna stay there for the whole day, all right? Which I guess in Texas you stay for several days if you drive from Lubbock, right? But it would not be worth a one day trip. Um, but if you spend a day on the beach, when you leave, you ever notice that you find, it seems like you find sand for a couple of days, like whether it's on your body or I, I feel like one time I took off my phone case. I've been back in Lubbock. It's probably been eight months since I've been to the beach. And I took off my phone case and there was sand in there from the beach. I'm like, that's kind of cool but kind of gross, right? Um, it just kind of gets everywhere. Or if you, you go, uh, you, you take a shower that day and it's like in your ear and in your hair and stuff. You know what's actually worse than that? I don't know if y'all, everyone's been here long enough for this. But if you've been in Lubbock and experienced a West Texas dirt storm, Lord have mercy, Right? Like, you, you, can't, you can't floss and get all the dirt out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is everywhere. It's, it's quite disgusting. I mean, we told, talked about this the first night of Thursday worship in the fall. But do y'all remember that storm that came up, like, Tuesday of Welcome Week? And, like, some kid got hit in the face with a pizza box and stuff. Like, um, but dirt really, it, it's, like, Lauren and I, when we first moved here, it was almost disheartening because in Florida, we don't have dirt storms, so you just don't, the house doesn't get dirty. But I feel like in Lubbock, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to have dirt on your windowsills, right? It, it gets everywhere. He's saying that, that's what sin is like. It's like a West Texas dirt storm. It, it gets on and covers everything. It distorts and dirties everything. And, this, and the stain is so big, so deep, so hardened in your lives, you, you can't do anything about it. So because of that, because we're all to the depth of who we are, sinful, even religious people, even churchgoers, are under the wrath of God. Yeah, I've been baptized. I went on a mission trip. Uh, I give some money every now and then. I follow Hood Jesus on Instagram and Twitter, right? Like, uh, It doesn't... It doesn't take away the wrath of God. Because again, God sees the heart and at the heart of who you are and who I am, regardless of all the religious activity, I'm, I'm totally depraved. I'm completely, that's a fancy way of saying I'm completely sinful in every aspect of my life. Now, this, this third one, actually, I'm sorry, there's a quote that I want to say before I move on. This is by, from a Russian um, poet His name, if I'm going to try to say it, is uh, Turgenev. Anyone ever heard of him? Turgenev? (laughs) Leslie. (laughs) This is what he said. I don't know if this guy was a Christian, but it's pretty uh, accurate for what this passage is saying. I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like. But I do know what the heart of a good man is like. And it is terrible. I think you get what he's saying. But the reality is, we try to compare. And the reality, like, I would consider myself a better person than Adolf Hitler. I just feel kind of good about that, right? I feel kind of confident about that. Like, I, that's, if I'm going to compare myself, I, that's a safe, oh, I think it's a safe bet. But even that, even though I could say, oh, I'm better than him, the reality is, if I'm honest with myself as I sit and get quiet before God, I know that I'm still completely really messed up. So I don't know about Hitler, but I, I can speak for myself and my heart and my thoughts are really wicked and terrible. That's what this verse is talking about. Now, the third point we're going to see from this passage, we're almost done going through the text and we're coming a lot, covering a lot of ground tonight. The third point, I think, may be the most important for us. Because if you get this, <laughs> it changes everything. So we'll read it and then we'll read the text. Religious people will face the wrath of God because they cannot, they can't be good enough for God. Let's read it and you'll see what it means. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works, this is so clutch. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Here's what Tim Keller says about this passage. The law is not a checklist we keep. It is a benchmark that we all fail. Did you catch that in verse 20? No one, no human being through the law, through trying to do good things, even do what God says to do in the scripture. No one through doing those things will be justified. So again, like we talked about last week, seeing through God's eyes is, uh, he'll look at you just as though you'd never sinned. No one is going to be justified through doing good things. You cannot be good enough for God. Some people say, ask someone, hey, well, why would you say you're a Christian? Well, you know, I've gone to church all my life and kind of just done the, the Christian thing, and I'm just—I'm just, a, I'm just a, really at the most like I'm a pretty good person, like it kind of outweighs the bad. The Bible says there's not a scale; no one will be saved through doing good things. That's not the point of the law. Do you remember a couple weeks ago I gave this metaphor? I don't want to beat it to death, but of Going to Paladuro with some friends, and uh, my friend Garrett, who I'm hoping is going to come fill in one night when uh, the babies come, which would be really cool. Anyways, um, so y'all can pray that you text him and tell him he should do that. Anyways, so my friend Garrett and I and uh, a little Maddie Grace at that time was like fifth grade, I don't know. We, we run towards this mound of dirt that looks like kind of a little mini mountain, and we go to climb up it. And do you remember what happened? We try to climb up, and what happened? we just kept slipping, right? Because everything we grabbed onto, like, it, we couldn't hold on. It was just dirt. We couldn't hold on to anything. And like, it was funny because one person might make it a little further than the other and like, oh, I got further than you. But, but in reality, we still didn't make it to the top, right? And that's, again, what we're seeing in Romans is that we might, can as we try to climb the righteous, the mountain of the righteousness of God, we might can say, oh, I made it, fur- I made it further than Adolf Hitler. Look at me, right? I made it further than that person. But in, the, in reality, none of us are getting to the top. You can't get to the top. You can't reach God. As religious as you want to be, you can't be good enough. Nothing's going to impress God. And again, we've seen it. It's the third time we've seen it. That is why the gospel is so beautiful. <laughs> because Jesus, even though our re- religious, religiosity, is that the right word, is so messed up and crooked and twisted and selfish, in spite of that, he came, he climbed down the mountain to rescue us. Y'all with me? We can't be religious enough. So he came to live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we deserve to rescue us, to save us. I was talking with Jonathan and Mark a couple months ago, talking about the book of Galatians. you know, if we could save ourselves, then Jesus didn't need to come. But guess what? Jesus came. (laughs) Because we can't save ourselves. Author, I kind of mentioned this earlier, author Romans up to this point, it's as though Paul is chipping away at any perceived foundation that we could stand on, of like, oh, I'm a righteous person. I'm a good person. He keeps chipping it away, leading us to the edge. Where our only option is to jump off and trust Jesus. Like, I'm an idolater. I'm evil. Even when I look down on people who I think are worse than me and act like I've got it all together, reality is I do the same things they do. And then even as a religious person, God sees right through that and he sees my heart. So he he chips away everything else, kind of pushes to the edge. That's what Paul's doing to say, right, you can trust yourself and end up in wrath or you can jump into the grace of Jesus. love what Eric Eric Metaxas says. He says, in fact, we're not sick and in need of healing. We are dead and in need of resurrecting. We are not dusty and in need of a good dusting. We are fatally befouled with death and fatally toxic filth and require total redemption. Being religious will not save you. That is why you need Jesus. There's a story, we're going to finish with this. Jesus told, I think it's Matthew 7, a quick little story. It wasn't really a story. He was just saying what's going to happen one day in heaven. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Matthew 7. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I said this earlier, but y'all, I'm afraid in this Bible Belt culture, there's so many of us we think because of our religious activity, yeah, we're, man, we're good with God. And the reality is, maybe you don't have a birth certificate that says you've been born again through Jesus Christ. You've been bought and paid for and redeemed through Jesus Christ. So here's how I want us to respond tonight. We're gonna sing here in a second, but I, I'm just willing to bet in a room this size, there's probably a few people at least maybe one person. I don't know. I mean, I don't have anyone in mind. But maybe someone that you've been doing the religious thing, but you actually don't know Jesus. Romans 1, 17 through 16-17 says that there's a righteousness revealed from heaven. So it's the righteousness that, God, that Jesus brought us and offers us to say, hey, you really ruined your life. I came and made a mess of my life on the cross so I could save your life. And let's, let's do a little exchange here. Some of you tonight need to quit playing the religious game and like legit, for real, for the first time come into a relationship with Jesus through choosing to stop trusting in your, quote, goodness and religious activity and who you are and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm messed up. I believe that you are the son of God who came to rescue me and to save me. And so I'm going to fully dive out. I'm not going to jump into the crowd. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm going to, Dive into you and trust in you and follow you. Some of you maybe need to do that tonight. So when we're singing, I'm going to be in the back. You know, no one is going to judge you. I'm not going to be like, oh, I knew you were just religious. It's like, no, <laughs> man, this is awesome. We want you to be saved. I did the religious thing when I'm just doing quotes and everything sorry. <laughs> when I did the religious thing when I was like 5 years old, 6 years old because my sister, I saw her get baptized, her get baptized and we all got to eat fried chicken and have a party so I was like why would I not get baptized right? <laughs> so, I did that whole religious thing and, but when I was 11, was not actually got the gospel. And some of y'all need tonight need to actually get the gospel and respond to it. So I'm going to be back. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you. As believers, Those of you in here who are Christians, two quick ways I want you to respond. And we talked about this the very first night we did Romans. First of all is just remember the gospel. It's so easy. When you agree it's so easy to go back to like doing the religious thing as kind of like what you feel like makes you in right relationship with God. You start depending on, well, I've done some good things. I went to church. I'm a good person. We're not against going to church. But it's so easy to start making that your like salvation so tonight the call is just to remember the gospel, that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that you fight not for righteousness, I want to earn something, but you fight from righteousness, that Jesus Christ, if you're in him, he has declared you righteous and forgiven, and now you can live life fighting from righteousness. So you maybe need to remember the gospel. Or like we've been challenging you to do, maybe tonight as you remember the gospel, you need to be like Paul and say, Hey, you know what? I see that the gospel is the only hope for salvation, so I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel, and I'm going to start relaying and sharing the gospel with other people. Now, I'm going to start sharing the gospel. I'm going to start putting some little white pins in that board because I'm going to make a difference around Lubbock and around the world. The song we're going to sing is Here's My Heart. And if you're a believer, the challenge as you remember the gospel and choose to relay the gospel is that we would not just be religious people who are in the front of our shirt, but that our hearts would be all in for Jesus. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll respond. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight and for these students and their attentiveness. I know it was some thick, deep stuff, Lord, but thank you for um, speaking to us. And God, I gotta pray that if there's someone t- tonight that doesn't know you, that tonight will be the night that you take them for being a religious person. To a saved person, from being a maybe a moral person to an alive person. And God, for believers in here, I pray that they would remember the gospel and be challenged as they're encouraged in the gospel, they would be challenged to relay the gospel. Lord, may we be all in every day with our hearts. God, we love you. I pray that you would stir our affection for you during this time. So your name we pray. Amen.